If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. So this is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. This is episode 13. We're here to talk about big trout and chasing them through two of the best states for wild trout fishing, Pennsylvania and Montana. I'm Dominic Swintoski, owner of Trout Pitten and author of TroutPitten.com. So my guest today was here way back in the beginning. He saw it all. I was introduced to Matt Grobe by our mutual friend, Pat Burke, over a decade ago. And as much as people like to complain about social media, it's those early days of the whole thing that brought many of the original Trout Pitten crew together. So Matt was part of it all. And with our friends Sloop, Sawyer, and Pat, we exchanged ideas and stories on a private online message board that we called Trout Bitten. That really was the core, the seed of everything that Trout Bitten would become. And you know, back then it was the same as it is now. We fished hard, tried to improve, were always searching for the next game-changing tactic, never blamed the fish, and always believed that we could do better. We chased trout all over the state of Pennsylvania, and although it was the refinement of tactics that kept us going, it was the river that kept us out there. Every one of our friends appreciated the experience. We all longed for those moments of peace and silence. And we felt like we were part of something special out there by wading and fishing all four seasons, without pause, among waters large and small, just searching for the next trout. And really, not much has changed since then. So I'm going to forego the Q&A round for this episode. In this podcast, I'm changing up the format. Instead of having my full panel of friends Uh, I wanted to just sit down with my longtime friend and see where the conversation takes us. Matt Grobe is one of the best fishermen that I know. He's honest and realistic. He values wild trout, and he hates the shortcut. Matt doesn't fish setups. He earns every trout because he appreciates the experience, the fair chase for wild trout in wild places. He's a technician on the water, but he's not competitive. He's generous, 
but secretive in all the best ways. Uh, Matt searches for answers out there, and trout fishing has been part of his life for a long, long time. Matt's one of my favorite people that I've ever shared the water with, and I wish he still lived in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so, Matt, how about I quit talking about you and have you speak for yourself? How's it going, my friend? Wow. Memory lane right there, brother. I think I, I smelled your special chicken. Like <laughs> I could smell it through the microphone. The chicken? While you were talking. Yeah, just, you know, tailgating, talking, oh, fishing, Jeff, Jeff's eating chicken. your chicken. Grilled chicken yeah. at the tailgate. Like so many memories just just came flooding back. One I mean, of the last times it, it, we hung out, we did the grilled chicken. Yeah, we did the grilled chicken, and yeah. I think you you might have drank a stanky beer we found in the woods during rifle season. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of our rules. Lots right? of lots of people tube around here. Well, in the summer, right? And they'll bring they'll yeah. bring beers. So there's just random beers sometimes in the rivers. And if you find one, you have to drink it. That's our rule, right? That was. I mean, I puckered up, and I, I for a second thought. Am I going to walk out of these woods with this guy, you know, and, and sure enough, I was slugging the beer and, and boy, you know, friendship lasts forever. I know we haven't talked as much, you know, ever since moving to Montana, but mm-hmm. man, it's a, it's a pleasure to be on and it's fantastic to see what, what you've done with, with trout bitten. And yeah, it's been fantastic. I mentioned social media again, like, well, there's a lot of stuff we don't like about it, but you know, that's kind of how you and I have kept in touch even. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you you love it or hate it, but you know, I always say everybody has the power to do as much or as little as you want on social media. Mm. Yeah, there you, you go. Know? You're, you're in control a, of it. Yeah, you're in control of it. So if you don't like something and unfollow or exactly, you know, you just have to have have to have that discipline to unfollow sure. and stop looking. If I feel yep. negative feelings about something or something that I'm looking at, I stop looking at it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. A simple unfollow does a lot of good. Yeah. You know, and That's so, true. hey, did you fish today? I did not fish today. I did listen to the podcast though. <laughs> okay. These short days in Montana, I have a, you know, an hour drive to work each way yeah. from Bozeman out to the Shields Valley where I work. And yeah. the limited daylight prevents me from stopping at the many trout streams I pass on my way to work. And so days on the water have been limited lately, but I, st- I say that and I still, you know, my, my buddies yell, you know, I still get out for four hours a, a week, you know, a week at the, at the least. Yeah. Right. And so I feel very fortunate. I don't have to tell you about close proximity to wild trout waters and right what on. that does for the soul. <laughs> yeah. Right on. You mentioned, uh, well, it's darker earlier now. So by the time you're out of work, you have no chance to fish. No. Joey, my oldest son, is all mad because of daylight savings time. Of course, he's lived through it, what, 12 years before. But this year, in his 13th year, he's all mad about it. Because he was fishing almost every day he came home from school. And all yeah. of a sudden, he's like, Dad, I, I have no fishing time. I'm like, you have like an hour and a half of fishing time. That's not enough. He's kind of right, you know. You should tell him just to reference your, your night fishing articles on the That's website. Right. And he wants open up yeah. a whole. If, if I didn't have man-eating grizzly bears chasing me, I might, mm. I might think of that night fishing game a little more. So that's one of the things, that's funny because that's one of the things, you remember, I said, you got a night fish out there? You're like, yeah, maybe. And then once you got there, you said, nope. Dude, no, I mean, so I could tell you a story, like Go the ahead. first couple weeks of, of moving out here, right? And, and my whole situation, and for those that don't know, I'll yeah. tell you a little bit about myself real quick. Please. So I, I had a similar upbringing as Dom. We grew up in mm-hmm. Southwestern Pennsylvania, uh, Latrobe, PA to be exact. Mm-hmm. And I spent, you know, my earliest memory fly fishing 
is my earliest memory fishing, period. I'll, I'll never forget it. Super vivid. I was with my dad. We were at a delayed harvest in Southwest PA, and I was mm-hmm. sight fishing a green weenie. And right on, and, there you go. And and saw that stock brown trout eat that fly. And, you know, I'm sure at that time I didn't know it and my dad didn't know it, but, you know, my life changed right then and there. Yeah. Uh, and I never stopped fishing from that day. And I was hooked, trout bitten, you know, however, however you want to call it. <laughs> right. I mean, I was just. Eventually you had a word for it. <laughs> yeah. And I was hooked, you know, growing up in, in that part of the state. Yeah. We rely on the stock fish. For sure. And, you know, you write so well about the hierarchy of fish and. Mm. You know, a couple podcasts ago, you guys talked about it. But yeah. What a, you know, there's the situation where, where stock fish should be and are appreciated. Yeah. That's, yeah. I needed them. I needed them as I was a kid too. Yeah. Yeah. We would have never right. been in the situation we are without the, the stocking program just because of the thermal issues we mm-hmm. have in that part of the state. And acid mine drainage. Yep. Acid yep. mine drainage. And so, wow. I mean, I spent the, the first part of my youth chasing fish. And, and that's kind of, you know, how I spent most of my time until early teens. And I was fortunate to have my brother and then yeah. my sister and they all attended Penn state. Right. Mm-hmm. There you go. That it was comes. back before social media, <laughs> right. Before right. social media. And, you know, I get these calls, uh, from my brother and he'd be like, man, he's like, there's fish behind every rock up here. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, what are you talking about, man? It's like June 15th and our fish are belly up mm-hmm, down here or right. they got harvested and, right. and and I put the rod away and chase bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would just sit there and, and, and be like, no, man, like, you know, these limestoners are the real deal. And and then that's just a whole other, it took me to a whole other level yeah. going up there. And so I went to school there, you know, I didn't go to school there to, for a major career. I went there yeah. to fish. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I went there, I went there to, you know, Wake up with a Rathskeller hangover and and chase blueing olives uh, instead of going to biology one hundred and one or or whatnot. And I so, like that. And that was just you know mecca, right? I mean that was fantastic. It is fantastic, and it just allowed me to appreciate some world class brown trout, wild brown yeah. trout fish, class A right? wild trout. That's what the state yeah. calls it. And anywhere in this state where you find that designation of class A wild trout, there really kind of is a fish behind it. Or in front, or beside every rock. You know, there's every a fish. Rock. There's a fish looking at your presentation almost every time. Almost every time, you got a trout at least seeing what you're offering. That's special. Yeah, and you know, one thing led to another, and you touched on it. And you know, we got connected, and the early trout bitten years, as you recall, were some of the more impactful years as far as transforming my angling technique and skills. Yeah. Um, and you know, we spoke. Two to three times a day, right? Yeah, I mean, we'd right. be post posting on the forum mm-hmm. and bouncing ideas mm-hmm. off everybody. We were all wow. digging in, man. Yep, digging in. Yep, and it was just fun. And we were—I feel like we were at the the best fishing I ever had was prior to me leaving for Montana. Yeah, I think it was it was June 2015, and that water, like you know, dude, when you have that those limestoners hit a certain level. Mm. At, towards the end of May and early June, mm. and the bugs pop. Yeah, man, the 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 dry fly fishing with the slate drakes. Okay. I, I mean, it was slate drakes. It was it was BWOs. It was late stage sulfurs. Yeah, and it was just like a smorgasbord. 
and every fish in the river was rising and it was just, I was like, oh my gosh, man. Didn't you have like a week? Is this the week you're talking about? It was just Yeah, dude. Endless. It was that week where I was sending yeah. you those pictures. Right. I feel like it all came together for mm-hmm. me up there. Yeah. Like I was I was, it was getting like your whiskeys. Send-off. Yeah. Yep. I was getting whiskeys. Yep. My brothers were there. My dad was there. We were camping. Yep. Um, you know, and and it just was epic. And then life throws some crazy stuff at you and and one thing led to another. And I got an opportunity to come to Montana. And I tell yeah. people, people are like, they just assume I came to Montana for the for the fishing and as that was noted, as I was considering, it was my job that, yeah. that brought me out here. Yeah. I went from that, and and I strongly, I've been fortunate to fish all over the country, yeah. and I and I and I tell people this all the time because they ask me, you know, about Pennsylvania out here, and I I without question say I came from the best mm. wild trout fishing in east of the Mississippi mm. to what I would say is the best wild trout fishing west of the Mississippi. Right on. And so that's not a bad thing, right? No. <laughs> I guess I'm pretty spoiled. No, for sure. So obviously, though, there are differences. Both are yeah. meccas, right? And I haven't uh, traveled around nearly as much as you have. But you can say it. And, you know, you just said, you know, east sure. of the Mississippi and west of the Mississippi. And now you've lived in both. What are the key differences? So I think, for one, the fishing overall is yeah. more technical in Pennsylvania than in Montana, you know, it's no disrespect to you know anybody that fishes out That's where here. It is. That's all right. I That's just it think is. it's it's much easier here, and I attribute that to the influx of wild rainbow trout, mm. um, the wild cutthroat trout. I think you have, mm. you know, the streams out here have multiple wild trout species, yeah, and that's so a good if the point. Browns. If the browns are being lethargic because yeah. of a sunny day or whatnot, well, I always have the the um, I don't want to call you know the dumb rainbows, but the the more eager, just more rainbow, eager. That's all. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. and they they uh, provide just consistent, more consistent fishing than our wild browns in central Pennsylvania. Sure. Um, so I think that's one of the key differences as far as the. The overall fishing. And then, yeah. you know, you have um, the size, the turbulence. I think you got more volume out here. The rivers are somewhat bigger. Mm. It, you know, Dom, float fishing is incredibly prevalent mm. out here out of drift boats. And there's a reason for that. I mean, mm. the, the rivers are big. They're easier to ex- access yeah. via drift boat. So that that's kind of a pretty different than back in PA. Not saying you can't float in right. PA. Especially central just, PA though. We don't really have right. many, yeah, we don't have opportunities to do that. Right. And they, the state creates great access points. They mm-hmm. make it incredibly convenient to launch a boat. And that's honestly, I mean, that's what most people that come out here do. I mean, they, they come out to fish out of a drift boat. And so everybody assumes, you know, it's Montana, right? There's, you know, you guide, if there's an allure to to fly fishing in Montana. I mean, sure. can, yeah. We've, t- we talked about it at the movie. It can be yep. life changing in the sense of the scenery and it's mm. just, it's wild out here. I mean, there's, yeah. I, I tell people there's, there's more people in Allegheny County hmm. in Pennsylvania than the entire state of Montana. Is that a fact? It's a fact. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's wild. Yeah. Still. Now, yeah. having said that, seems like there's a massive increase over the last three years in tourism, yeah. which is true. But overall, it's this wild, you know, state. Yeah. And there's that aspect 
to it as well. You know, Montana has that. But long story short, the bugs. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. In my opinion, people are like, well, I'm like, man, I miss Pennsylvania hatches. Really? I thought you'd say the opposite because you got big bugs. No, we have big salmon flies. Right. Yeah. But as far as you, you think, I wouldn't like, man, I used to be the. I, I would sit on the banks of some of those central PA limestoners and, and wait for that spinner fall yeah. at night or, oh, yeah. or time right. the emergence, you know? And, and at one point when I got into the mono rig more and mm-hmm. nymphing and saw how productive that was, I, sure. I kind of didn't do it as often as I had growing up, Yeah, but I find myself seven years detached from fishing frequently in Pennsylvania, really missing the diversity, the the fact that you could have full-blown spinner hat falls with multiple bug species in the evening and very rarely out here. Now, I say rarely. There's some rivers that – the Missouri, for instance, that mm. has plenty of – you know, that's a dry fly mecca okay. spot. Some of the spring creeks in Paradise Valley. But mm. overall, most of these really tumbly freestoners, you don't get those pods of fish just gobbling up mm. spinners or mayflies – as frequent as we did huh. uh, back in Pennsylvania. But what I am jealous of is those big salmon flies. Yeah, that's yeah. that's special. The only time it I've is. ever gotten to fish big bugs like that is uh, when the cicadas were out here. And that was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh man. We've I remember the stories. Yeah, yeah, you've told me was, the stories well, of that. I'd love to have that on a regular basis every year, you know. It's not – it doesn't suck. I mean, it's it's, it's absolutely <laughs> no. fun no. Yeah. to huck that thing. Yeah. And, and, and it's pretty – consistent and to see the, the eats are very similar to how those cicada eats were right they just explode yeah. on, on that fly um and so yeah i mean it's that stuff's fun the bushy elk hair yeah. stimulators and yeah. the royal wolves and i yeah. think last episode or the episode before you were talking about when you camped up on the madison and you, oh yeah you mostly fish dry flies, right mm-hmm. and, dad and i fished all dries i mean almost all right. dries 95 percent of the time I nymphed a little bit. I streamer fished a little bit, but boy, not much. They were all over the dries. It was uh, early August. Yeah. And to your point, that like wet wading at that time of year, Mm -hmm. not saying it's not productive back in Pennsylvania with terrestrials. It's just different out here. It's, Mm -hmm. It's like those fish... They're really settling into a consistent water pattern and they're nice. they're still eager for those terrestrials like a hopper. You just get away with some bigger dry flies and and it's fun and it's good and you know, like I said, both places are pretty phenomenal. Nice. Fulling Mill is the world's leading producer of flies, fly boxes, hooks, beads, and tippet. Known for their barbless hooks, they have many of your favorite trout patterns tied barbless. Not only that, they feature patterns from anglers like George Daniel, Pat Weiss, Josh Miller, Joe Goodspeed, and many others from around the world. Every pattern is backed by the 200% fulling mill guarantee. If a fly isn't up to the highest standards that you expect, they will replace it with two that are. Stock up at FullingMill.com or ask for their flies at your local dealer. You've always had a knack for catching big trout. <laughs> I mean, that's true. You're one of my buddies who's so just, uh, you catch the big ones. And I, but, I, but I know that's not luck. Right. So why do you, why, well, why do you focus on chasing the big ones? And then we'll talk about maybe how, but why do you focus on chasing the big ones? Man, that's, is that fair to say? Do you focus on, on big trout? So I've gone through stages and you, right. you've spoken yeah. about this on the, mm-hmm. on the, we we go through fish counting stages. Mm-hmm. We go through big fish stages. <laughs> I just feel like you've always been in a big fish stage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's one of those things that, yeah. 
early on, I was more of a dry fly numbers guy. And okay. then a couple, you know, I, I moved to a spot in central or southwestern Pennsylvania that had a reputation of having yeah. big fish. Right. And let's face it, everything about trout fishing for me and, you know, like-minded folks like yourself just want to learn. Yes. Yes. I'm fascinated by, mm. well, why does this, is this guy catching all these big fish or mm. making it look like he's catching a lot of big fish, <laughs> right. right? Right. With the, with the grip and grins. And so it's more of an educational thing for me. And yes. so when I was living in Southwestern Pennsylvania, there was a tailwater I fished frequently yeah. um, and it gave up big fish. And I started asking myself, okay, like I, I caught a 25 inch brown trout. Now I'm going to say this, you know, fingerling stocked tailwater. Right. Understood. Okay. Yep. And caught a 25 inch brown trout yeah. on a size 16 paradigm sulfur. Yeah. And that's because you, you know, it goes against everything. Oh, right. That you hear. That's not a big right? fly. And, <laughs> that's not a big fly. That's not at night. That's not articulated. You know, he's not being a predator. Right. <laughs> and so I'm like, wait a minute. And, and then the, the summer, you know, went along and I stuck a couple 22 plus inch mm -hmm. brown trout on dry flies. Mm -hmm. And so then that just got me immersed in this whole big fish thing. Like at that time, let's say I'm 25, 26 and I'm in it, man. And this is before... Yeah. Instagram got big, like, yeah. and then some, you know, some creepy dude named Pat Burke reaches out <laughs> to me to try to poach some info. <laughs> so the truth and, comes out. Yeah. Yeah. The truth comes out, you know, yeah. and he, you know, he invites me to, I'll never forget this. We floated, we floated uh, a limestoner, right? We're, right. we're staying away from the names here. Right. So River we, we floated a limestoner in central PA. Yep. And uh, this is funny because he thought yeah. I could row. <laughs> I'd never, I'd never hey, rode Pat before. taught me how to row. I broke his seat. <laughs> well, I broke his seat sure. the first day I ever rode. I just <laughs> pull him back. So lean him back so hard. I just broke the seat anyway. Well, yeah. And he's <laughs> like, you know, yeah, man, you want to row? And I'm like, well, okay. And yeah, I'm rowing into bushes and you know how it can get, it, oh my God. It, you're yeah. floating those central yeah. PA streams at that flow. It's like tight. it can get tight. Yep. And so whatever we started laughing and, you know, we pulled out and no, you know, Thank goodness I went. My wife was kind of worried, mm. honestly. She's like, well, who is this who guy? Is like, yeah. I mean, he, he seems fishy. I'm mm. like, you know, whatever. So, and then friendships were born, mm -hmm. you know, and then, and then you guys invited me on the trout bitten forum. Warm, yeah. So I went through that phase. And then when I met Pat and then got introduced to you guys, I really, why did I chase big fish? I mean, it was more of that wanting to learn and then seeing Pat's consistent success mm. in areas that I may not have been pulling out bigger fish. Because he's also, he's also a really good big fish fisherman. Incredible. I mean, yeah. he was, he, you know, he, he taught me a lot as well. And I started listening and watching his techniques mm. and then, and then we'd have the forum and we debrief almost at the right. end of the night. Right. And so once I saw the success of the mono rig and kind of an approach mm. to targeting big fish mentally and then tactically mm. it kind of just stuck with me for a long time and i'm sure we'll talk about that that those techniques and whatnot but that's mm -hmm. kind of what it was man it was like almost holding yourself a, a inner com competitive 
drive mm-hmm. to yeah. to go after these big fish. And I actually have a question for you on that. Yeah. Um, you guys have talked about certain things on the podcast prior mm-hmm. to this. What do you consider a big fish? I think we should we should specify that. Right. I, it depends on where you are, where you're fishing, but 20. We call them whiskeys, right? 20s. Yep. 20s are mark. And, you know, 18 is fantastic. And some rivers oh, yeah. only, yeah, some rivers only, really only, uh, the top tier fish or the top class of fish is at upper teens. And man, you could fish for five years and not catch 20. Oh my gosh, yeah. For us, 20 is, is big and 24 is a namer. You know, this, heck, here's yep. Matt Grobe, the guy who started the term namer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Tell, tell everybody about that real quick. Yeah. So I think the first, that fish, and I'm not even kidding you, that fish I caught on that sulfur. Yeah. I, you know, I don't care what anybody says. You're, you're not catching a ton of two foot fish. Right, right, right. No In a year. It's right. just, you, you know, there's some oddities out there maybe yeah. in some tailwaters and mm. maybe some lake run influence, but we're talking specifically, uh-huh. you know, big river brown trout, whether they're fingerlings or, or wild or whatever. Right. Those, those fish are hard to catch. Right. And so what better thing to do than to give it a name? And so- <laughs> Pat was like, man, where did you catch that on Facebook or something? And I'm like, you mean Hog Johnson? <laughs> so that was the first neighbor. His yeah, name was like, Hog what? Johnson. Who's Hog Johnson? I remember like, Hog. You know I, think I, re- I remember that picture. You kind of had it up by your face. Oh, yeah. That was one of my favorite looks for a while. I was like, I'm going to try to duplicate that. <laughs> it's held up real high. <laughs> I mean, super big grin. And yeah. I'm like, Hog you know Johnson. who Hog Johnson is, Pat. Yeah. That butter brown you know or you just you saw that big nasty brown trout yeah. and and that and that's when we start i'm like you got to name your 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 two footers man Dude, that's and that's great. what it, it's not a two footer <laughs> it's a namer so two feet is really big and yeah 20 inches for me is big now is that different in montana no i mean i think to your point it depends on the stream you're fishing yeah because a 12 inch brook trout oh yeah could be a monster great I mean, point Yes. So you have to you have to be open minded. Yeah. I just for for sake of big fish, I agree with you. A twenty inch fish is is very big, and every inch after that is incredibly impactful on the length and the size yeah. on the majority of fish. Um, Joey asked me the other day. We caught a, he caught a twenty. Honestly, he caught his first twenty, and he asked me. Oh man, he said you that that might be twenty four by next year. <laughs> and I said no, it'll take more than a year for it to grow four inches, bud. You know, uh, right. it has to. Oh, not and I said it has to not only get longer but so much bigger, fatter. But you sure. Know. And so you, so I that goes back to that first trout I caught, and then you, I have this inner drive to learn yeah. and chase these big fish. But I will say, I personally like it's exhausting mm. in the in in how. I approached it almost to the point where I was, I don't want to say burning out, but I hit a point where it's like, okay, like I, I take it pretty serious, like probably way more serious. Probably why I have a hard time finding fishing friends. Yeah. Um, but I take it to the point where I'm going to go to bed at eight o'clock. I'm going to get up at 3am. I'm going to drive, you know, I'm not going to let a three hour drive, um, Mm. limit me from, exploring a particular watershed that I think may produce big fish. Nice. Um, and so I feel like in order to maintain that, you know, commitment mm. and that, you know, desire, right. 
it takes a toll on you. And, and I yeah. weighed, I mean, we could get into, you know, out here, right. It's, it's a little different in the, in the, in the access, how you access streams where if yes. you cross a, a river and the road is public, you park there and you stay below the high water mark mm-hmm. and you can penetrate way into these places. On if you foot. have the energy. Yeah. If you have the energy right. and it takes a toll. Like yeah. my back hurts. I mean, I'm mm. getting old, man. I'm going to be 40 this, this in January. <laughs> yeah. And I beat myself up, yeah. you know, doing this stuff. And at some point, the desire and determination to find certain areas that yield these big fish benefit me right now because I don't have as much – I wouldn't have to explore as much yeah. if I wanted to target some of these spots because I know they yield big fish. Yeah. Right. And so at that time, I'm like 25 to 35, that 10 year span, I really hammered it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I exhausted myself, but the reward is I have some, some really good spots that I can get to that I know are going to produce. But I would much rather fish a high mountain stream these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dry dropper. You don't see anybody. You know, and a and a twelve to fifteen inch fish is is just fine. So yeah, right I mix on. it up. I yeah. mix it up a lot more these days than I used to. But a lot of my success, like this year, and I'll say this year, yeah, I caught more twenty four inch fish this year mm. than I did any year in my entire life. Did and you name I spent, all of them? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'd ahead. have to go back through my my feed, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, that's. I did. I did name them. And, that is something. Uh, more that. Why? Why more this year? Even though you weren't targeting, let's say, big fish as much this year. So I have a roll of thumb, and mm. and you you can appreciate this. You have two young right you know, kids, and there I is, have a yeah. seventeen month old daughter. Yep, that'll um, change everything, and it changes everything. The exploration I, becomes different. It does. Yes, it totally I don't does. explore nearly as much, and I fall back in a good way. I fall back on a lot of the knowledge that I already gained when it, like you said, twenty-five to thirty-five. That was about me too, right? Yeah, I fall back on that knowledge. I know this area. Give me a hundred, hundred and fifty mile radius. I know where I can go. Yeah, you're efficient, right? Yeah, and, and so, you have to be right because of the kids, right? And so people would be like, "I'm not. I'm not the type of angler that will go to that same spot." Over and over and oh, over yeah. again. Same when here. you when you catch a big fish, I I had I don't have the attention span for it. Yeah, I get bored. But what yeah, what that allows us to do then is instead of fishing that same spot that we know could have yielded can yield a 20, 24 inch fish, we're yeah. out there exploring. Yeah. Right. And so for ten years, I would constantly force myself to explore the next watershed. And 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 don't get me wrong, man. Yeah. Like. There's so many times, like you have to have a, you have to be okay with striking out. Like sure. you have to be okay mm-hmm. with, with no catching, no fish. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be okay with being disappointed. And then when you, when you're a working guy and you have that one day to fish mm. and you're bypassing the Madison and then you're coming home with no fish. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Right. But one out of eight tries yeah. yields this this great fishery right and by the time you do that for eight years you got eight spots so if i have eight days to mm. chase big fish and i'm in the mood for it i go right for the the money right I like, yeah. I'm, I'm like boom and, and i'm right in there and that's why i think i caught 
mm. that many two good foot answer. fish this year because I I went straight to the goods. Yeah, <laughs> well, you earned it. You know, you, you, sure you put in that time, and and now you're sort of reaping the rewards of it. And in a time when you kind of need need that knowledge and. Right. Well, you and I are both lucky that we've had a lot of fishing time in our life, way more than the average person. We've also sure. made the time for it. You know, I kind of, I kind of always uh, made sure that I had access to really high quality wild trout streams. And I know you sure. Kinda, yeah. Hey, so you really do catch more big ones than anyone else that I know, or even anybody else that I see on the web, for that matter. And the trout you chase are legitimate. No setups. Sure. No no club fish. No pets. Uh uh, not being fed from the bank, you know, not lake runs, not right. there's any, it, they're, but they're different when they're lake runs. You're almost, uh, it's almost common to catch a trout over 20 inches, you know, when they're lake run. Sure. So let's talk about that. Why does the quality of, of trout matter to you? Why does it matter where they came from or how they got so big? So this is a awesome question. Mm. Um, it takes us, it takes me back to yeah. a time frame on the forum where we had some mm. really heated discussions on wild trout versus stock trout versus fingerling trout. And, yeah. and, and for me and you, and I think we aligned in this and I don't want to speak on your, on your behalf, but I feel like we aligned with, we were very open-minded and it wasn't like I was demeaning. Like you and I grew up fishing for artificial f- trout. Yeah. Appreciate it. And, and understand that it absolutely is important in certain situations. But as we grew older, I just wanted to know what I was catching. Like, yes. what, what am I catching? Is there a chance that, you know, Joe Schmo down the road was pellet feeding this hmm. trout That's right. and it, it got into the section? Like, why is there a Palomino? In this right. stretch. That's a, yeah, that's always that's a red a, flag a bit for of a, me. That's right. That's a red flag. Bit of a giveaway. <laughs> so, yeah. And you and I had all we always said, okay, there's nothing wrong. I just yeah. want to know. It has People, nothing, it has it's nothing more than that. Right. I just want to know from a biological standpoint. Mm, yeah. And I find it incredibly fascinating. Is there areas in Pennsylvania, you know, is there areas that have this this secluded you know, area of hundred percent wild trout without getting stalkers to, to penetrate the system. And, mm. and I don't know the answer to that. I mean, right. I, I just asked the question and we know there's absolutely sections in central Pennsylvania that mm-hmm. are in all wild trout. Right. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and, and does that impact how big they get? Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that. Right. But mm-hmm. then you have some of these guys that are catching these massive, you know, fish yeah. and they seem out of place. Right. So you, yes, it's, it's not place. knocking anybody. It's no. just, I question, okay, that's out of place. Did they discover something? I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying they didn't. I personally, from my experience, just think, you know, okay, what is that stream attached to? Yeah. Do holdovers get bigger than hundred percent wild trout? Right. And then I grew up you know, for a long time fishing the tailwaters that have fingerling, you know, help and those fish grow mm-hmm. big and they, they're fantastic. Oh, they're fun. And I just, yeah. al- I just always wonder if mm-hmm. they remove that. Yes. What impact does it have on the size of the fish in, in some of those areas? Sure. I mean, so that's, that's, that's the Pennsylvania, you know, piece. And so when I moved out here, yeah, there's 
luckily, I mean, you know the history of Montana. Everybody mm-hmm. knows it's well documented. They don't stock moving water mm-hmm. out here. And so that's pretty unique. Yes. But I will say when you do the research, there's also some famous waters that dump into lakes. Yes. And this isn't to, you said it, there's nothing wrong with a 20 inch lake fish. Right. But where Matt Grobe wanted to get, I wanted to find a hundred percent locked in freestone brown trout Yeah, that, that grew to two feet. And so out here you can actually look at some of these watersheds and know they're, they're locked in. They're all free, free flowing yeah. into a river. That's not flowing into a lake. They don't get stocked. And so unless someone's illegally putting fish in, there's a high probability Mm -hmm. that those fish are are just purely what they are. And that was always unique and intriguing to me just coming back from PA, not saying there's, you know, not big wild brown trout in Pennsylvania. That's not Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying from a question education standpoint, when you have a educated debate with somebody, it's neat to be able to say, well, look, you know, I can verify. Yeah. I mean, that's wild. There's almost no yeah. question about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that that's pretty, pretty cool and, it is. and and pretty unique. And it's just a cool discussion. People get heated, man. You Dude, know people that. get sensitive. People are very sensitive wow. when you start saying, Well, that might have been stocked. Or it might have might have been fed. It might have been, oh, there was a club four miles downstream. That that <laughs> fish might have swam up. No, this is wild. Don't you tell right. me that's yeah. people get very sensitive. I guess I understand it. But, but it's not like yeah, like you, I've always been really open-minded. I just want to know the truth. And then, yeah. unfortunately, many times we can't know the truth. Uh, I caught a trout on one of our local streams the other day, and man, it looks, for all the world, it looks wild. But I think it was being fed from somewhere upstream that we both sure. know about. And I'm like, nah, you know? And yeah. honestly, hey, it was fun to catch. It's, that's not the point. It's not right. whether it was fun or not. I just want to know. Oh, the legitimacy of it. Well, maybe that's even a poor choice of words. I just want to know the his the history of it. What right. made it? Th- what made it that big? Was it all right. natural, or was there a man made or a setup kind of an influence? To right. me and to you, yeah, that's important. Important knowledge, right? Why is it important? I think it's important in part for the learning that you said. We want to know so we can maybe repeat that experience of catching that trout. Maybe it doesn't exist in other places, but if it was set up from four miles downstream. Right. And here, here's a question for you. So, yeah. And, and I guess I had a lot of time, and I say time, let, yeah. let's say about 10 years fishing. Um, and Pennsylvania is yeah. very known for their fingerling program yep. on tailwaters. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But what I found on certain numbers of them where these fish would grow really yeah. big, but they were like, Almost unnaturally thick. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so have you ever seen, and and I will say, I haven't even, I haven't seen it out here yeah. where there's a, a a high probability. I know this fish I'm ca- I caught is a hundred percent freestone mm-hmm. brown trout, 22 inches and the girth yep. never got as girthy is yeah. the fish I was catching mm-hmm. on that Pennsylvania tailwater mm-hmm. that they were fingerlings. Because those fingerlings were bred in the hatchery, you know, genetically selected to eat aggressively and grow fast. That right. never grows away. People always argue, well, you know, uh, once they're in there for a while, they, they act very wild. I agree with that. For the most part, I agree with that. However, that instinct, that genetically bred instinct to feed aggressively 
And then, well, not just instinct, but just their nature to grow fast and grow in that way. Uh, right. That that's never going to change just because it's in the river. Right. They just seem out of place. Like, why is this fish so big? Yeah. There's some right. incredible insect populations, obviously, up in your part mm-hmm. where you live right now. Some of mm-hmm. the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Abundant food and. I don't know if I've ever seen you, you fish up there mm-hmm. as much as anyone. And mm-hmm. so does Dell. And I don't mm-hmm. know if I've ever seen that, like, you know, no. slobber. Oh, it doesn't <laughs> come happen. out of there. Nope. No, nope, they don't um, grow like that. They grow leaner and they sure. don't have that big, huge football round shape. Nope. Right. They don't, they aren't, they aren't like that here. And we aren't so, known for super big fish in central PA either. They're here. Right. There are, there are a few here. But no, that's not what we're known for. And the top tier trout is again like upper teens usually on most of our. Yeah, yeah. But boy, does the the ones that you know, and I I tell people all the time, man. I I don't know how long I fished. I mean, I fished Central PA for years without sticking a, a whiskey. Oh uh, yeah. But when you do, you can go all year, man. You're yeah. you're the champion of the world. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and they go through phases. Like I think there was some like in 2015. I swear to this day. There was something untrending, right? Yeah. We had like three or four good summers of water and yeah. thermal, and and the fish got there. I mean, they hit that twenty inch range more mm. frequently than I had ever seen personally. So I think it can happen. It's just to your point, it's a little less likely that it's happening on a daily basis. Yeah. And then the out of place ones you see on IG or whatever. Yeah. Back to the whole big fish thing. It's like. I just want to know what what right. was that legit or was it not? And I don't know if we can answer that. We can just hypothesize what we think in our opinions, but that's, that's very true. I think it was real neat about where you're living. Like you said, you can isolate these are- some areas and say this fish is almost 100% wild. I mean, come on, even take the word almost out. That fish is 100% wild. I I really don't even know of any places in PA where I can say that 100%. It's right. different. Because the real, but you it, have the potential for it, right? Oh yeah, for sure. And and I, we all I, talk about that. Yeah, and even the Fish Commission is doing better with is stocking less uh, over wild trout populations and whatnot. Things are getting better. Uh, progress is often slow. Uh, sure. Hey, so, so we've talked a lot about twenty inch fish. Uh, sure. So I, I'll ask you this straight up: Do you think there are thirty inch wild trout out your way? Do I think there's thirty inch? Yeah. Wild do you think trout? they so, exist anywhere without a, in your in Montana without a setup? I can confidently say they do, and I say that because nice. our FWP with Fish Wildlife Park does an incredible job at fish surveys, nice. and they do it yearly. They are good at documenting pictures and lengths and weights, wow. and the mm-hmm. Big Hole River mm-hmm. um, is a prime example of one of those streams that doesn't have any of that lake run influence it's isolated it's 185 miles long and i want to say it was last year they shocked a 36 inch oh my god 15 pound brown (laughs) trout man and it's (laughs) on the internet i'm saying oh my god now having said that 185 miles of water yeah they've been shocking it for whatever tons of years and and occasionally the 30 plus inch fish will show up in that watershed Mm. Do I think they exist in other watersheds out here that are isolated? Mm-hmm. I do. I think there's a few. Have I seen one in person or or have seen one caught by a buddy? I mm-hmm. haven't. I I, I want to say that that may be the uh, 
something that I'm not, it's not in my skill set. Like maybe that requires some completely different tactic to catch those fish. Do you need a big streamer to catch that trout, Matt? No. I mean, we've we've been talking about. (laughs) Right. No, right. I love that. I I ask you that question. We talk about this a lot. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, we didn't get into approach and I mean, Boy, I I feel like I owe you. I should name all my fish Dom because uh, uh, you know a pattern that you introduced me to. But it, it <laughs> the unspoken pattern, the unspoken. I just call it the the trout bit and special. And what yeah. you do with it is up to you. But I I keep it close to my heart out here. Yeah. Um, so you know, people ask. I mean, that's a good question. I get right. What do you do? What's your What's your tactics? And I try to tell people. You know, it's like look. You're, you want to ask me how I approach when I wake up and I'm sip, sipping my coffee and I'm going after big fish. There's, mm-hmm. there's a process I follow and I, and I fish and, and, and the fly got bigger since I moved out here, but mm. I fish a, a big number four stonefly nymph yeah. and, and I have a tag dropper above that. We'll do, you know, a caddis larva, a mayfly imitation. Okay. And I cover a ton of water. And I look at places that are unpressured. So I feel like unpressured areas, and I say unpressured and follow me here with this. Yeah. I think there's unpressured water. There's there's a couple different ways to look at it. Yeah. I look at the majority of people flowing down a very famous river and the main channel. And then there's this small deviation of a side channel that, yep. that drift boats can't go through, right? Okay. And and so to me, what is that channel? And how far does it does it go? Some of these channels out here, there's yeah. there's certain channels in PA, they they might go a quarter mile and then they yeah. loop back into the stream. What's back there? Because I know from the boat launch to the takeout is 15 yeah. miles. And I, and I know most guys are covering that 15 miles in the main stem. So if I were to bomb it down to that side channel, get out, walk down to the bottom and fish back up, how many guys do that? Right. Like two a year. <laughs> Maybe. One of them's you. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm not kidding. I could cover quarter mile water and it's yeah. garbage. And then you get to this one bend mm. that has a deep trough. Yeah. Boom. There's a whiskey. You just and know they're like, going to be in that. Yeah. I mean, hole. there, there's yeah. a whiskey there and it's like, I attribute that to pressure and I attribute, mm. I mean, quality holding water or, or whatnot, but I'm approaching that and I'm 95% confident mm. tight lining this, this number four stone fly yeah. in the water will, will produce a strike from a predatory brown trout. I'm, I'm, pre- yeah. I'm, I'm fairly confident every it's fishing. Right, I may I may not get it. Right, when we say predatory, you're thinking about uh, the the same ones that would chase a streamer if you were lucky, to a certain degree. Yeah, so I think that, and this is just a Matt Grobe concept. I believe the rut kiss that's created from this particular stonefly pattern with the bead I use, the tungsten bead I use, and the amount of yeah. lead I use is the right kerplunk to where it doesn't send fish yeah. running because yeah. it's an it's a not a natural kerplunk it's that like the perfect ploop in the water that triggers a fish eat and and yes you know the situation you smash mm-hmm. your streamer on the bank 
and what happens before you get your line tight? It you get yeah, a fish to eat. A reaction strike I, sometimes, yeah. A reaction strike. I feel like I can get that same reaction strike with a dead drifted stone fly on the initial kerplunk. To it, so it gives me this added advantage of getting that predatory strike, and then I dead drift it, and yeah. then let's say there's a log on that far bank, and I dead drift okay. through the log, but yeah. I can't get close enough. I will use a crossover technique to mm. where I'm I'm jigging that Neat. stone fly through that log. So I feel like I cover that hole with a few different tactics without yeah. changing rigs, and I can move on to the next one. So you will animate that stone fly. Before I leave that hole, I yeah. will pulse, you know, mm. I will pulse those legs. And I feel like there are times where I will get a reaction from that. I will get a fish that comes oh, yeah. out of that log area and it will eat that. So what kind of, what am I fishing? We, we've talked about it. You know, is that a juvenile crayfish? Is that a, a, right. a true stonefly nymph? Right. I think it's, it's a great general mm-hmm. pattern if you fish it with confidence and you apply different techniques and look, I mean, that's all gathered experience from the forum and things we've talked right. about and things that have worked and just kind of incorporated it into my game to where that's my approach for, for big fish, unpressured waters. And then I kind of use those techniques from a drift standpoint. When you're pulsing it, how far, how many inches, how many feet? So I'll rod tip. I don't strip it. I just okay. bounce it with the rod tip a couple Neat. inches and and it's not it's not it's a particular area, right? It's like not I'm overdone. looking at right and it's against that log that I mm-hmm. know I didn't get a good dead drift through. And like I, I just know I didn't I didn't want to rip my 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 I didn't want to dead drift it because I didn't want to get stuck or I could come up with a bunch of excuses we as fish fishermen use. And and then I'm like, you know what? Before I leave, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm going to twitch this thing yeah. and I'm going to get a pulse and I'm going to see if I can get a reactionary strike. Right. And so I feel very confident doing that in that way on unpressured waters. And I'm not saying this can't work on the main stem, right? Yeah. But I've been able to target these fish effectively on foot because the side channel is smaller. Okay. Yeah, I got you. And so there's a time and a place for me to target big fish in the main channel. Mm-hmm. With a streamer, but it's it's that main channel where what's the best way to approach it? You got a river that's massive. Right, from a boat. It, it makes a lot of sense to cover it with a streamer. So I believe people hook up quite frequently yeah. with yeah. big fish on a streamer, but it's more how they got that pattern in front of an eager fish mm-hmm. more than the pattern itself or mm. more than the, than the action. And I'm not look. Yeah, I'm not the best, the world's best streamer fisherman. I know mm-hmm. I, I can see Bill Dell's probably texting me right now, telling me to get <laughs> off the air. That's right. But, <laughs> but I I just think in that scenario, that's the best way to approach fish. Is big river streamer makes a ton of sense to me. Um, do they ever hit that tag fly up above? You said like a caddis nymph. Do they ever hit that? The big ones. Do they ever hit? That? Yeah, the big. That's ones, why you have it there, so, right? Right, I have it there, and I have caught. When I say big, yeah, the 20 to 22 mm. inch fish. Um, yep. Recently, I've been fishing CDC soft tackles. I've, I've okay. really enjoyed those as the tag dropper, and I've caught, you know, some substantial fish on, on a fly like that. And I'm, at the end of the day, I'm a numbers guy, right? So when I'm fishing these side channels or, or whatever, I want to know what's in them. Yeah. And so I want to, 
confidence pattern on my tag and and then a big big point fly like like that stone fly um right so you're going big and small all at once yeah you dom you know people will say i'm basically fishing a streamer i mean i can i don't even know if i want to art i mean i don't know what constitutes that I, in my mind i'm fishing a big yeah. nymph right and yeah but if it is a streamer you're not moving it a whole lot yeah that crossover right. technique, as you said, yeah. What do you think? I mean, what would you constitute, you know, a big, that technique? I mean, would you <laughs> say, well, you're just throwing a big number four streamer? No, it's, you're, you're fishing a big nymph or a smaller streamer or maybe even a medium sized streamer. But the technique is, again, you're, you're saying crossover. I, I talk about that. I write, I write that. Um, that to me is starting with sort of a nymphing presentation. And then sort of often then establishing that nymphing presentation and doing smaller, shorter animations on it with, like you said, those like two, three, four, maybe six inch pulses, sort of at the most, trying not to move it too much. And you brought up Bill. Bill always says, don't take it away from him. Don't take it away from him. And hey, we all acknowledge that trout are are pretty efficient. You can call them lazy, but I think, you know, whatever. They're very efficient. Uh, They don't really want to get up and chase your streamer or your fly uh, three, four, five feet. Yes, they'll do it, but will they do it more often and more predictably uh, if you're not taken away from so much? So, you know, essentially that's that's one version of unpressured fish, okay? Mm. The second version of unpressured fish, and I feel like this applies to some waterways in PA, but a lot of waterways uh, out here in Montana because of the size. So mm-hmm. the majority of people hop in the drift boat and – you're going, I mean, you're, you're floating and sure you're back rowing, mm-hmm. but you're, you're getting like one or two shots at showcasing your pattern to these fish. Okay. And some of these rivers, I mean, the Yellowstone river is not a hidden secret. Some of these holes on that river are massive. I mean, one riffle is, you know, could be 35 yards wide and, and 75 yards yeah. long. And so mm-hmm. how many times throughout the day, is the fish at the back end or the middle of that hole getting an opportunity to eat a well-presented fly? Right. Very few. Very few. Because how do you get the right depth to target that? Even if you're streamer right. fishing, there's various depths in there. And so I consider unpressured fish, mm. fish in that hole on a famous stretch of the Yellowstone River. But- Mm-hmm. I take the opportunity to work it because you don't see many guys working a riffle like we may have worked a riffle yeah. back home. And 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 so I work it and 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 I have some sort of confidence. There's a particular stream we love to fish back there and and Pat and I and you floated it many times before, but there's one hole. Yeah. And I'll never forget yeah. this. Burke set he he made an adjustment and set his bobber rig at like 20 feet. And I'm yeah. like, dude, oh my. you're never gonna <laughs> you're never gonna get a strike at 20 feet. Right. Dude yanks right. out a whiskey. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I'm like, come on, dude. Like that's the insane. truth is though, that never works. And, yeah. <laughs> I've done that. That never works. <laughs> you have no control and, or strike and, and, detection at that distance. But he did it. Oh my he gosh. Did. But he did it. And so <laughs> it taught me yeah. to open my so like that hole in the Yellowstone that's eight feet deep. Mm. That trout that's lethargic at the bottom of that eight foot pool to me is unpressured. Mm-hmm. And if given the opportunity, will eat a number four stonefly if given the chance. 
And so yeah, that's cool. It's just a different approach, man. I mean, that's that's kind of so they're that's cool because they're unpressured in the way that you that you're approaching them. They might see streamers all day, and they might see bobber rigs going down all day, but you're approaching them in a very different way. So in that way, they're right Be, because when you're doing the drift boat thing, you're not yeah. running an eight eight feet of tippet underneath right your, because you your don't want to stick all here. the time. Right, the likelihood of a streamer presentation getting mm-hmm. to that depth is. Slim to none, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. You can use your sinking lines. Your throw as much split shot and sinking lines as you like. You're, you're not going to get that deep. All right, hey Matt, how about this one? Do you count fish? You know how we A B test stuff, dude. I'm going to A B yeah. test my numbers based on last year, and it's for my own personal need. Like I need it. I just need to do this for my own sake. <laughs> Honestly, it's because you fish that much that you go ahead and find another uh, statistic that you want to keep track of. I mean, sure. I think that's what it is. People that sort of knock fish counting, I think maybe, first of all, haven't caught that many fish where it really matters. And then they don't fish often enough, really. That's probably the key. That they're not fishing often enough to really be able to have that A compared to B data. That's really neat. You know, you're talking about from season to season and you fish – you know, I don't know how many yeah, times. I'm around 100, I think. Yeah, right on. So that's a ton. And so you have that, you have, sure. you want to compare that data. That's what it is. Yeah. And you know what? Here's the other thing. So you have an actual fish counter. I did that for a while. But I think almost everybody kind of counts. You know if you caught five fish. And then a guy will be like, well, I might have caught around 10. Well, another guy, well, I, caught, I think I caught 20 today uh, on a real good day or something. A guy, I might have caught 30 fish today. So everybody's kind of counting out there. I think it's kind of silly to pretend that you're not, you know? Unless, if you've right. got three fish, you know it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Everybody's kind of counting. You have, I mean. And you care. Sure Everybody you care. Everybody cares. I mean, yes. How do you gauge, you're gauging your productivity. And I think on one of the podcasts, you guys went through and honestly said, how many fish do you catch in it? Right. And I thought that was an important thing. I was tuned thing into put, it. Yeah. It was awesome. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the forum days, we had talked about, instead of the whole number thing, we were labeling success on a group of fish within the hour. And so right if on. you were to get catch seven rate. plus fish in an hour, mm-hmm. it was great fishing. You didn't yes. have to say, oh, I was, I was catching 15 fish. No, it was, hey, Don, no. it was great today, bud. Yeah. And you know I was catching seven fish per hour. If I'm Absolute. out on the water for eight hours, that's a fifty-six mm-hmm. six fish day. Like right, and that's that, probably that's a not great gonna, day, right? But it's probably not going to sustain for eight hours. But yeah, that catch rate—if you're more than a fish every ten minutes—you're doing pretty damn good. Oh yeah, and you'll have a lot of people go, "Well, I catch more than ten an hour." Yeah, I get it. But all fishing kind of comes in patches, and we know that it does. And then you have days like. There's days I'm talking with Bill, and I'll yeah. I'll bring up the the old days up at uh, up at when we first started, and we'd meet up there, yeah, and we we'd locate the honey hole where half the population was in there, and you whack twenty five <laughs> or thirty fish, like yeah. it was. Pat had those places, like I, I was amazed at how he had those locked in. I'm like, right. so you're strategically picking out mm-hmm. each of these fish until you get that one whiskey, basically right. is what I felt like. Yeah. Um, but you can rack up insane numbers in right. that. And I feel like out here, I've and I showed Sloop one of these holes, and a guy won't leave it. I mean, I mean, he's you can sit in one spot <laughs> yeah. and just whack them because yep. they congregate in the deep water this time of year. More so 
they did back in Pennsylvania, but out here, it's like out here, they know like it, it would be incredibly odd to go through a winter without a major yeah. um, ice issue. Ice event, yeah. And that's one of those other differences that mm. you can still fish out here. Um, you, you can fish out here all winter. You have to be hardy for sure. And there's, there's only a handful, like I was telling Sloop this the other day, there's, yeah. there's spots here yeah. where you have the luxury of a mile below a tailwater that it's, yeah. it's never going to fluctuate. It's never going to get muddy and it's, mm-hmm. it's just going to fish and okay. it doesn't matter how cold it gets. And then there's certain like, believe it or not on the Gallatin below mm. big sky, there's humongous thermal features that mm. springs that dump yeah. in that keep that river ice free mm. all year long right um and like so us here yeah yeah i mean it's like spring water. In the, mm-hmm. uh, spring water and so there's there's places you can fish year on now the temperatures there's bouts where the temperatures get too extreme to fish um well, tell me about that what's the cutoff because i remember when you went out there when you were getting ready to go out there i said glad us glad for you had the opportunity because if you're not going to be here, then if that's the only other place I'd want to be is where you are. Sure. And I remember saying, hey, what you're going to miss is is winter fishing. And then I was seriously stunned when you were still fishing in the winter. So you're talking about what kind of temperatures, though? I think this goes back to the humidity thing. That, that's a real thing. Well, tell me about the humidity. So there's no humidity. Mm. I mean, it, we're in an arid the dry west, right? Okay. It's an arid landscape, and they're just, you. You've been out to Montana in the summer. It's in the summer. Yeah, never rain, right. and it's dry. Winter's no different. Now you get these snow systems that come in, but overall, if you have a sunny day, mm. the air is so. I mean, your skin is cracking. Like it is so dry mm. out here. The lack of water molecules in the air prevents ice buildup. I mean, and mm. so if you're in the a, a mono a mono rig guy. Uh-huh, and right. and you keep your I think Dando was talking about it on the last podcast. Mm. You keep that arm up, mm. right? In, in the elements mm. and and you're mindful of of, don't strip. of that and yep. don't strip short approach. I'd say 19 degrees and up. I'm confident I'm not going to have any mechanical nice. issues with okay. my rig. Um mono rig allows you to fish through the winter. I mean, <laughs> right. Seriously. It's a big deal. I know. Oh, I know. I mean, it's a, it's yep. amazing. I mean, it is. and if you you fish fly line, you're going to have buildup. I mean, yes. you are going to prevent yourself from being able to effectively fish with fly line out here in the winter. Even um, in your dry climate. Even in the dry climate. All right. It's all about the mono rig, mm-hmm. less diameter on that, you know, maxima chameleon, and it just doesn't accumulate as much. You also, though, have, I mean, single digits and negative, negative degree. You can't you, fish in that. I was going to ask. So you don't fish. I got, What's no, your number? I got beer drunk once. Okay. We, <laughs> Go ahead. I, so I leave Bozeman <laughs> with my buddy, one of my good fishing buddies. We leave about 6 a.m. You know, we're all stoked to fish the lake section of the Madison. Real, mm-hmm. real famous stretch of water. Mm-hmm. Blast on 191, past Big Sky through Yellowstone. Drop down in there. It's like negative 30. Yeah. Like, oh, my. That's ridiculous. What you were can't we do thinking? It. You can't do it, right? No. Okay. Nope. So we, we drive past the slide in. You know, yeah. Gallup's probably still snoring. And, and, and we, we get in. We get in to a pull-off, okay? Yeah. And we just start drinking beer, man. We're just, we're just BSing. And we start drinking beer. Well, four beers deep at 11 a.m. Mm. You know. Or were you waiting for it to get warmer? Yeah, it was negative oh, right. 22 <laughs> okay. at that point. Right, okay. It's warming so, up. It's warming up. Tw- negative 22. I get yeah. one shot, rig up, 
little buzz, catch a fish on my first cast right off the bank. There you go. Fly froze, real froze. Yeah. And we went home. <laughs> you can't do it. So my cutoff, like I said, my cutoff's around 15 <laughs> as a low if the temperature's going to oh, reach. Oh, hell, bud. And I'm tougher than you. I mean, I've fished, yeah, I've fished single probably. digits. Yeah. I never fished. We, I didn't have the opportunity to fish negative 22. That's ridiculous, though, that you caught one on. Uh, you caught. You had to be the only dude that caught one that day. Dude, it was, no one was there. I mean, it was one cast, one fish. Yeah. We got back in, drank beer all the way to Ennis, and then, you know, got, so the, got back into Bozeman, and, 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 and that was it. You couldn't fish. You can't fish effectively. No. Because the water was flowing, but when the fly would hit the air, it would just immediately freeze. No, yeah. It was a right. mess. I mean, it, it was a mess. So you need, in my opinion, 15 yeah. degrees out here. You can approach it, and then as it gets warmer throughout the day, you That's, feel it. And I, I told you before, man, a 32-degree day in mm. Montana when the sun's out is much warmer than a 32-degree mm. day in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. with the wind ripping. I, I'm just like, I, I gotcha. I, at first when I came out here, man, I was like, you know, I thought these Montana folks were hardcore. Mm-hmm. There's nobody out here. And I'm like, this is balmy, bro. <laughs> I bought that. Mine. You remember that shovel head jacket? I told everybody yeah, yeah, on the right, forum right. to get. Dude, it's too hot for out here. Really? <laughs> get on. Most, I'm telling you, a 32 degree sunny day in Montana is warmer than a, a day back in the Berg. I'm surprised by all that. I mm-hmm. really am. I mean, because, you know, we had, I remember even last year, I fished like 10 or 12 degree weather a couple of times. And I, it is rough, but I just kind of enjoy the battle and I do it. Yeah. Like you say, you can deal with it, but no, I mean, I'm fine from, let's say, uh, I'm fine anywhere yep. from like 10 to 12 degrees and up, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, then, and who, how many people out there are, are doing that? Not oh, many. Zero. And I, right. I will say you got, you know, I haven't been back home in in seven years or whatnot, but my short time here, the winters are trending somewhat warmer and, okay, and, right. and they provide more of an opportunity Mm-hmm. For folks to fish, where my first couple years, and I told you, I, I joke with old Sloop. He was uh, complaining about his feet the other day. I said, "Man, yeah, it's only December. Yeah, you wait." <laughs> Sloop's, you know, he's listening. Now he got bigger boots, but I was like, if we get a a normal winter out here, the pucker factor increases dramatically <laughs> in in January. <laughs> my buddy Jim made a good point today. I mean, it was about twenty six or something when we started, and the wind was blowing. And he said on a walk-in, he said, you know, there's a difference between being cold and just being cool. Just like there's a difference between being in pain and being eh, uncomfortable, you know? <laughs> right. And right. that's true. And oh yeah, something always kind of hurts in the winter. And you just learn yep. to accept it. You go, well, I'm not going to sure. be, my, skin, my fingers hurt. Okay. Because they're cold and sometimes wet if you're catching fish. That's nice. Right. But they're not going to fall off. I'm not going to get frostbite here. I'm okay. The rest of my body's warm. And yeah, my fingers are pretty uncomfortable. So what? Sure. I'm fishing. And right. I think that's that's what it takes is that ability to just go, I don't care. Because I'm not being sure. I'm not hurting myself, but it's uncomfortable. Whatever. Right. So hey, seriously, uh, you're out there in Montana now, and and most anglers here in PA seem to think that by going to Montana, they have a better chance to catch a big fish or a trophy fish. Do you think that's true out in Montana versus PA? Um, let's say and we're we're talking trophy fish. We're we're back to the right. We defined what was big. Let's say twenty, but yeah, twenty inches. What about twenty four? Let's go up to twenty four. No. Well, it, it, what about no. twenty then? Uh, I would say twenty. 
the sample size of this in, in my head, I'm saying yeah. that if you had a seven day trip booked mm. in the primary fishing locations in central Pennsylvania, okay. and then you had a seven day trip seven day trip booked on the primary mm. fishing locations in Montana, that the chances of landing a 20 inch fish would be higher in Montana than mm. Pennsylvania. Now, having said that, like that's just that sample size, right? There's so many different things we could say of, right. are you exploring river B and, and all that stuff. So right. in that scenario, I would, I would lean towards the answer is yeah. In Montana. And, and well, do you basically, do you catch bigger ones now more frequently than you used to when you were fishing the wild trout streams here in PA? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, I'm catching, I'm catching them more frequently. Yeah. Um, but I also know as an angler, I've grown. I mean, I've, there's this massive Pennsylvania contingent that comes out here. Yeah. July and August that I've never, like, I remember driving down this dirt road. I was blue line in some, some, you know, ridiculous spot. And, and at the end of it, it was a PA plate. I'm like, of course there's a PA plate. Like, you know, it's that, that sportsman mindset that you gotta, you know, there's a lot of hardy anglers coming out of Pennsylvania, just great anglers, just mm. great all around. Um, and you wonder why, like, what is, what is it about our, community of fishermen that boast these these high highly educated highly mm. motivated right. individuals i right. mean there there's tons of them right that's a good point you know i've seen some things coming out of pennsylvania that you know i don't want to say shocking but you know there's some people out there that are yanking some some mm. real For large sure. fish in places that i probably wasn't looking at i mean right. can you say that i mean i i i've right i'm curious no i am too Right. There's a faction of anglers here that, that fish a lot of small streams and catch some really big trout. And also, I've fished a lot of small streams. Now, the truth is that when I'd fish small streams, I, I always think of small streams and dry flies. I've done that since I was really young. Mm -hmm. And so I don't target big fish. But if, boy, it makes me want to, you know, honestly, when I get a little bit of time back, when my kids are older and life possibly slows down for me, boy, I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do the same thing. One of the things, When it's though, a big state. It, right, right. It's a big state. I mean, state. it's a big state. It sure is. It sure is. And we have so many miles of uh, trout streams. Yeah, one of the things is, we addressed it earlier, you just kind of never know. There's so much stocking influence. There are, are a lot of clubs, and those clubs stock and feed those trout every day. And I told you about catching a trout the other day that was, you know, I'm just sure it came from four miles below at that club. That's unfortunate. So it makes me question everything that I'm seeing. Sure. I would really love to see... Pennsylvania move more and more toward stop stocking over wild trout. That's the main thing. And then I'd really love to see them crack down on the stocking over wild trout in clubs. Uh, just because you own your class A wild trout stream, it, it runs through your property and let's say it's 30 feet wide. So it's not navigable. So here in PA, you can post it and you can do whatever you want with it, but it's stream pollution <laughs> in my sure. opinion to put those stocked fish in there. Because then I catch them four miles downstream. Right. Yeah. I don't know, man. We we it's all. The, fun. I love reminiscing and talking about this because I almost get angry about it. <laughs> I know. I think what most people will tell you is that it gets more complicated when you have you know more people from different perspectives. You said about how there's more in Allegheny County than there is sure. in all of the state. Of yeah, Montana. it was easier to do. <laughs> That's the excuse that they'll give you. Is that well, you get so many people they're trying to please. I get it. I'll say one more time. I think we're moving in the right direction. It's just pretty sure. slow. 
Hey, I got one more question for you. Yeah. In episode 12 of the podcast, Austin brought up uh, your tactic for windy days on a tight line using a bugger or something similar. Yep. Tell us about that because Austin and I both had kind of a different idea about it, but similar. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been out here and you know mm-hmm. these these massive valleys with sometimes no trees. Yeah. Um, the wind is prevalent. I mean, in, in certain times of year more than others, but on any given day in the summer, chances are if you have the opportunity to fish in the afternoon, you're going to catch a breeze. Yeah. And so I got to the point where whatever was going on in my life, I fished when I could. And so there was a stretch of time where I had afternoons and that was the only time I could fish. So I'm going to fish. Well, I get out there and, you know, everybody has their input on how to combat wind. Right. Mm -hmm. Wait. I mean, I know one of the more frequent used techniques is let's, you know, wait the the heck out of the rig. Overweight the system. Yeah. Overweight the system, get it in there and battle the wind. And I, you know, I did that and I just, you just never, I never have the the success. I don't know if that's more mental. I I -hmm. personally think it messes with your drift. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just have a bogus drift or you're missing takes Mm -hmm. because you're not in contact with the cider Mm -hmm. and so at one point I was like, you know what? I'm going to, instead of combating it, right? That word tends to get tossed into the conversation when you hear the dreaded W mm, and, wind. and instead of being combative, I'm like, let's mm. just, I'm going to embrace it today. Like and, it. And, yeah. and I'm going to say, okay, well, what pattern would mimic, you know, a jerky drift or weird, weird drift that might entice uh strikes. And you, yeah. know, I, I said it before, I'm not a, I'm a very poor streamer fisherman mm. overall. I, I try to work on it. I'm just not as well versed in that line of the game as I should mm. be. Now, a standard woolly bugger, I, I have them in my box because certain water waterways out here really produce well with the right size, you know, medium sized streamer. You know, mm-hmm. whether that's sculpins or leeches or whatever, they, these fish are tuned into it. Like yep. it'll outfish a stone fly. Most times I've gone to these watersheds. And so I started putting, you know, some of these in my box. And so the, that day, that particular day, I was just letting, you know, casting upstream to do a typical dead drift, but obviously mm-hmm. I wasn't getting a dead drift because the wind was so prevalent yeah. and it was jerking, you know, it jerked my fly. And that marabou, you know, what does that marabou do? Mm-hmm. It gives a little pulse. Right. And then I would try to get back into contact with that fly, but let the wind move it along the bottom or mid column or just let it do whatever the hell it was doing. And my goal was to strip in the slack and try to stay in contact with that fly. Well, dude, I had a banner day. I'm like, yeah. I was whacking fish and That's I was letting, you know, letting it drag towards the end. And so there are days out here, right? And I think- Anything over 15 miles an hour, okay. like sustained, where I'm just like, dude, I'm not having it. Like, <laughs> this is just not working. And I'm not throwing a dry dropper rig. And I, I kind of think the most productive way to fish would be underneath the surface. I use that approach and I've had a fair amount of success doing it out here the past few years. Where's the weight? Just a cone head. I mean, I oh the weights in I the, do a, in, 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 the, the, in, in the bugger. I'm a I'm a cone head. You know, I tie my buggers really simple. I mean, it, okay. and I have three variations. I mean, I have a black and olive and a white. Mm. And I I always throw the black one on first. I have confidence in it. Mm-hmm. And and a cone head with some .30 wraps of lead. Yeah, that's and, it. 
and get it to the bottom and 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 that's my that's my jam on the huh. on that type of technique get it to the bottom or, or close to it and then let the wind just move it around jerk almost like a jig you would pop a jig around you mm. know just like you, you jig it jig jig i do that with the bugger and whatever like i can't tell you enough how many times i've hooked up dragging that bugger on the bottom that's cool or, not me the wind right. and then i'm catching yeah, right. up to the slack and yeah. boom i mean I'm, I'm hooking up i like and it I, I don't know it's an interesting concept i like it makes sense hey thanks matt that was a great conversation man good talking with you nice to catch up yeah man it's been hey, too long, brother. You have any other uh, words of wisdom, real quick? They have to be ver- real quick nuggets of wisdom. People are. Just <laughs> 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 to bleep that out. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so, hey, we'll do this again because we obviously left a lot on the table here and uh, we could probably talk for days. For sure. All right. Thanks to everyone out there for supporting the Trout Pitten podcast. And I appreciate your kind words and enthusiasm for the project. Thanks again, Matt. Thank you, Dom. That's fun. See you on the river soon, hopefully. Well, you got to get out here. I know. (laughs) All right, I'll see you. So remember, troutbitten.com is a free resource for all anglers. So dig in and check it out. Navigate through the menus and find what you like. Share it, leave a comment, and use the search page if you're looking for something specific. Navigate by way of the categories and tags, too. Thank you for listening. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment because that really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water.